Hi, everyone. I'm Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast, our final one of 2021. And we are calling this the five most listened to podcasts of 2021. Now, let me begin by thanking all of you who listen. You know, what started out as a, you know, someone sending me a $99 Yeti microphone, setting me up on GarageBand on my Mac computer to begin doing this podcast a few years ago has now mushroom quite a bit. I mean, but I mean, at this point, even for this year, 2021, uh, we've had over 2.3 million downloads of podcasts. I mean, that's a lot of downloads. And uh, we've seen it increase quite a bit, especially the last two years. Now, many of the topics and the themes that I uh, talk about each week uh, come from you, people sending in questions and or case studies or topics for future podcasts. I mean, I have a list uh, two pages long that I keep in front of me that I ponder and pray through that uh, of different topics. So let me invite you to send me any kind of topics or questions you're carrying or case studies uh, that may perhaps be a seed for a great podcast. Just send it to askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. That's askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. So our team has chosen uh, the top five most listened to podcast of this year. And so what they've done is chosen a three to five minute section from each one of them. Now they are, the first one we'll do is will be called Follow the Crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. Uh, the second was a new leadership scorecard for success. The third, how God's absence is a form of his presence. The fourth was skills to revolutionize your prayer life, part one. And finally, finding God in the fog of ma massive transition. That's finding God in the fog of massive transition. So let's begin now with the first uh, most listened to podcast of 2021, Follow the Crucified, Not the Americanized Jesus, and you'll listen to a four to five minute section on rejecting popularity. Here it goes. There's actually four qualities, and I've got a nice little chart there uh, that you'll see uh, in the book. And it goes, the first one goes like this. Worldly discipleship is be popular. Jesus' discipleship is reject popularity. Now, it has taken me decades to grasp the enormous power of the temptation to be popular. In fact, it's one of the three temptations the devil uses against Jesus uh, in the wilderness. And what's so interesting is because uh, we know the world goes after popularity, but what's so easy to do is, we'll see in just a moment, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they want to be popular too. Uh, and it's just now we have a religious covering for that inner drive to be popular. Uh, it's kind of like another layer of the false self. And so in Matthew 4, for example, Satan quotes scripture and invites Jesus to jump down from the highest point of the temple so that people will believe in him. At this point, Jesus is not popular, and he's basically invisible to the crowds. Uh, in fact, but he refuses to jump down off the temple to be popular. And then, in fact, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were so unimpressed with Jesus, they said they, want, they wanted a sign. But Jesus refused to give them a miracle on demand in order to be popular. In fact, so many of his miracles he seemed to be doing like inconspicuously. I mean, just think of a loaves and the fishes miracle. It was done in such a way that people almost wouldn't even know it. I mean, it was just the way these 
these loaves seem to invisibly multiply either in his hands or the hands of the disciples, or he's healing someone who's blind as he pulls him outside the village. Um, but, but the desire to be popular was deeply ingrained in the secular culture of Jesus' day and the religious culture of the first century. And so Jesus calls out the Pharisees on this, uh, where he says to them, he says in Matthew 23, everything they do is for people to see. Wow. You say that today. And Jesus says, you, however, as my disciples, are to utterly reject any kind of showy spirituality to impress other people. Uh, and the whole Sermon on the Mount's got a huge section about the way we pray, the way we give, the way we fast, that we are not to do it like the religious people today that are looking for popularity, but to do it secretly to our Father who is in heaven. Let me just try to say this as clearly as possible. Uh, Jesus denounced any activity that had any traces of seeking the approval or the admiration of other people. Jesus denounced any activity that had traces that were seeking approval of other people or admiration of other people, or to give up every quest to be noticed by someone else, whether it's building a bigger ministry for God, getting more possessions, uh, bigger buildings, moving up a career ladder. Uh, and Jesus knew the weakness of our human heart. He, he knew that this desire to impress other people would be a constant temptation to every follower uh, of his. And so he says to the religious leaders of his day, how can you believe when you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from the Lord God himself? John 5, And he knew that this desire to be popular poisons discipleship. It poisons faith because you end up making decisions that you wouldn't make otherwise. And um, you know what it's like. I, you know, I'm, I'm in the pulpit and I'm saying, how can I preach this message in such a way or use this illustration? How, you know, how, how am I coming off? How does it seem to people? Or, or if I'm talking with someone about how they hurt me, if I talk with that person concerned about how they hurt me, will they see me differently? So maybe I don't talk to them. Or if I share my hopes and dreams, will they think I'm selfish? Or will my supervisor think of me differently if I share my struggles? Or how many likes am I getting on the social media posts? Or how many followers might I pick up? And, and this thing of being popular, which I'm calling the world's discipleship, is so deep, so unconscious, uh, that again, it, it surfaces in, in very subtle ways. Like I end up saying yes when I'd rather say no. Or I, or I, don't, I don't speak up. Or I remain silent because uh, I don't want to rock the boat. And, and uh, I mean, here, I'll I just, personal testimony, I mean, so many times God was seeking to mature me through tests and trials, and I was more concerned about how other pastors or leaders were going to view this messy path I was on and uh, end up lying a lot and not being honest with people and difficult conversations and even everything from annual reviews, you name it. So Jesus says, reject popularity. But the invitation is we are to be content to be popular with him alone. Now, the second most listened to podcast of 2021 was called A New Leadership Scorecard for Success. And uh, you're going to listen now to the second a segment from the second measurement called Actively Listening to Jesus. Second measurement of Am I Succeeding is I'm actively listening to Jesus as I lead. I'm actively listening to to Jesus as I lead. So again, on a scale of one to five, it's very easy. If you've got leadership gifts, you've got uh, you've had a lot of experience, you've been perhaps a Christian for a long time, it's just easy to go on autopilot and just be fueled by, oh, this seems like a good idea, or this makes sense. Uh, 
but this issue of actively listening to Jesus as I lead, I want, I want, I want to nuance this a little bit for you. It means my whole life is I follow the person, the living person of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit lives within me to enable me to follow him and to empower me to follow him. And so that means every day, in a sense, all day, I'm, I'm listening. I'm, uh, oh, Jesus, what are you saying to me? Uh, where are you going? Uh, because I want to go in that direction. And so my life is one of surrender. I'm losing my life so I might find it. That was Jesus, you know, his great words to the disciples after telling them about the crucifixion. Uh, he says, whoever would follow, be my disciple must uh, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. They must die. That was surrender. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. And so this word losing your life, to me, the, the word I like the best is surrender. My life is one of surrendering my will to his. Uh, that's the key word, surrender. So because I can't, uh, if I'm listening, listening and obeying are closely related in the original language. If I'm listening, I'm obeying, but I'm listening. And um, therefore, I, there's a level of detachment I have with the world around me. I'm, I've lost my life, so I might follow him. And I love, you know, Meister Eckhart's word of detachment. It's a very nice word he used. Again, it's, it's got, you know, needs to be worked on for 21st century. But I did some podcasts on it. You might want to check it out. But for him, and he wrote this in the 13th century, you can't follow Jesus without being detached. Uh, and uh, now you have to be emptied. Emptied so that Jesus might be birthed in and through you. It's a, it's a, it's a loving detachment. I'm, so I can have loving union with God, which is my goal, is to be with him. The problem with most of us, and especially when we find ourselves in leadership with influence, is uh, we, we want, and I know I want the world to unfold a certain way. I, I don't want problems and obstacles, and, uh, and I resist anything that I perceive as negative, and I cling to what I'm enjoying and loving. But you see, if you're clinging or resisting uh, any one thing, it, it, it's hard to listen because you got to get it. I, I got to have this, and I, I don't... I don't want certain things, and I want certain things. But God's invitation is to surrender to Him. We surrender everything to Him. Uh, so I'm listening to Jesus, and I'm I'm open. I hold everything with an open hand. Uh, you know, not my will, but Your will. That's a, a really intense prayer to to pray. I, I love Eckhart's quote. You know, great saying that to be empty of all created things is to be full of God, and to be full of created things is to be empty of God. In other words, for God to fill you, you've got to be empty. But if you're full of all your own stuff, it's hard for God to get in there. So for this, I need silence. I need solitude. I need rhythms. You know, be still and know that I am God uh, perhaps is the most important verse in the Psalms. Uh, someone said that a long time ago and may be true. You know, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. There's a there's a knowing of God that can only come out of silence and solitude. And so I, I need silence. I need solitude. I need scripture. And so I, I, I seek to immerse myself in scripture on a daily basis. Uh, first, Jesus said to Satan in the wilderness, humans do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The, you know, God is speaking all the time. And uh, of course, he's speaking through scripture. And so I, I want to be, you know, soaking myself continually in, in Scripture. And, and I just, I need space. I just, I need space uh, to listen. Uh, and of course, this relates to the first measurement of success, which is uh, rhythms uh, in my life. Uh, so I can uh, be with Jesus and, of course, listen. Now, this third most listened to podcast was called How God's Absence is a Form of His Presence. And actually, this was 
one of my personal favorites as well. And uh, so, again, enjoy this, how God's absence is a form of his presence. See, God's goal for you and God's goal for me is that you'd actually rest, and I would rest and trust in the, in the love of God, in the flood of the love of God, and that we live in a place of union with him, that our will has been so transformed into God's will that that they're almost like one will. We want God's will and and the image and likeness of God that we were created in has actually now being being restored in us and that his presence now is like a burning bush inside of us, kind of taking us over and melting away our false self. And we become the men and women he we originally he originally intended. But God loves us so much that he's going to strip us of all those things that keep us away from him. Things that even aren't bad in themselves, but they keep us from God. And so at the wall, uh, our whole identity has changed. And, and, and we actually let go of things that we're holding on to for identity, things that hold us back from intimacy with God. And that can be anything from the way we're, you know, religion, intellect, control, addictions, our gifts and talents, our need for applause from other people, uh, dreams we might have. And in that session, I introduced people to The Dark Night of the Soul by John of the Cross, written 500 years ago. It's such an important work. I've read it, I don't know how many times. And I read it every few years because it's such a, an amazing work. It's, it has stood this test of time. And its basic argument is that everyone goes through dark nights of the soul or valleys or walls. And it's the ordinary way that we grow in Christ. It's the way that God rewires us. He, he, he redoes our affections, our DNA, and he prepares us for a, he prepares us to have a higher degree of communion with him, of love with him, uh, that we can actually grow up to mature men and women. He purges our taste buds so that we actually taste the love of God. We feel the love of God. We, we've lost taste for the things of the world in an unhealthy way, at least, and we're stripped uh, and become the new men and women he's called us to be. And uh, it's not simply God restraining our self-will, but he's purging us. He's cleansing us of things that are deeply rooted. And what's interesting, he, John of the Cross goes into a big discourse of the seven deadly sins, uh, which go back to Evagrius, eight deadly sins. Uh, it was actually the, it's been all through church history talking about the seven deadly sins. But it's interesting looking at uh, his, uh, John of the Cross's, seven deadly sins, because I read this list again, and I think, oh boy, no wonder what, how critical it is that we go through dark nights, that we have experiences that of, of God's absence as a form of his presence, because there is no other way for God to pull these things out of us, like weeds deep in a garden. And here, here they are. I'll mention them very briefly here in this podcast. First, he says his pride, which is simply our thirst for fame, uh, as part of his, our, our thirst for fame. And uh, I love her Mother Teresa's spiritual director told her during her dark night of the soul that lasted so many years that he, he told her that God was purifying her and keeping her humble against applause and praise from people. But John of the Cross refers to this deadly sin of pride, the first one, as uh, that thing in us that, that condemns other people, that's impatient with other people when they mess up, that uh, especially if they're making little progress spiritually, we get frustrated. Because that's got to get pulled out of us. The second is greed, not just love for money, but a discontentment with the spirituality that God's given us, where we are right now in a journey. We end up comparing ourselves to others. Third deadly sin he calls luxury, which basically is, um, you know, it's we want we we love the spiritual blessings of the Christian life more than we actually love God Himself. 
And so part of the dark night is God takes away the, quote, the blessings and the feelings of the blessings. So we actually long for him alone. And uh, uh, then the fourth is is wrath, and which he refers to as the e- we're easily irritated. We, we lack a sweetness to us or a gentleness, and we, d- we don't like waiting on God. Uh, and we make these great resolutions of what we're going to do for Jesus, but we actually don't follow through. Then he goes to the spiritual gluttony, where we don't want the cross, but spiritual pleasure is kind of a childishness. Six deadly sin is spiritual envy. We're unhappy when other people are doing well spiritually. And then finally, it's sloth. We run from that which is hard. We don't like the cross. And God's removing everything that we lean on. Uh, and so again, basic theme is what we think is best for us actually is really the worst. And we really think is the worst ends up becoming actually the best. And now the fourth most listened to podcast of 2021 was called Skills to Revolutionize Your Prayer Life, Part One. And you're going to step into a short uh, three, four minute section about using Explore the Iceberg uh, as part of your prayer life as David did in the Psalms. I had a conversation recently with a pastor who was who was physically exhausted, emotionally depleted by the demands of his leadership role. And his face, he's looking at the floor, his shoulders are slumped. He's, he's telling me all the stresses of the last few months. And I just invited him to listen to his feelings. And I suggested God may be speaking to him through them. And he looked at me like I had two heads. Because what are you talking about? He just had no way to connect to what he was experiencing emotionally and physically to his leadership or to his relationship with God. And honestly, he, he was miss, that pastor was missing out on a rich dimension uh, that open that could open him up to his relationship with Jesus uh, and his, you know, in his life. I love this. One of my favorite quotes comes from a, an old book called The Cry of the Soul by Dan Allender and Tremper Longman. And here's what they said, you know, theologians. He said, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, when we turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or engagement, in neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. For my first, my first 17 years as a Christian, I ignored the emotional component in my seeking after God. Uh, it didn't matter how many books I read, how many seminars I attended, how many years passed, whether it was 17 years or 50 more years, I would remain an emotional and spiritual infant until I acknowledged and began to integrate the emotional aspect of who I am as an image bearer of God, because the spiritual foundation that I was building was cracked, and there was no hiding it, especially from those who lived close to me. But let me just close with a few rich fruits that you can expect and you can look for as you begin to feel before the Lord. First of all, you will get to the treasure of your true self. We all come from families where, uh, you know, for whatever reasons in our childhoods, people who were, we, we have to repress or suppress our emotions to survive. Uh, but our God self is buried within, and God made you unique. There's nobody like you on the face of the earth. And listening to our feelings is a key, one very key element to becoming the unique man and woman, man or woman he has called you to be. I, I, I can't tell you what it 
it just changed my whole life. I would get, I was 36 or 37 when I began to feel serious and it was, it was unbelievable. And I realized how much of my life I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. A second uh, gigantic gift or fruit out of learning to feel is, uh, is what I touched, we touched on earlier in that, in that um, earlier section about Ignatius, that as I'm listening to my feelings, I'm able to listen to the Holy Spirit living inside, inside of me. The Holy Spirit's in our feelings. And Ignatius has done the greatest work on this in the 1500s. No one has done the work on how do I discern God's will through my feelings and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. He's not just outside. The Holy Spirit's in me. That's the glory of the gospel, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And we begin to pay attention to the deepest longings of our heart. And uh, Ignatius talked about consolations. Again, what am I feeling great about? And so I, I'm, I'm praying before the Lord. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm listening to where there's joy and energy and life and love and what's causing my heart to get inflamed for God, what's lighting my soul up, what's, and what's bringing me tears or maybe even uh, anger about personal or societal injustices. And I'm listening to my body. I'm paying attention to you know, physical reactions. And, and uh, again, I'm listening to desolations. What's, what, what, could, what brings me a feeling of death or a, less energy and anxiety or strain or heaviness or turmoil? And so I'm listening to my physical, my physical body so often knows before my uh, mind. So a knot in the stomach or a tension headache or teeth grinding or clenched hands or sweaty palms or, you know, arms, you know, in, in that kind of position of uh, you're not getting in front of me or neck tightness or foot tapping or insomnia. You know, I'm asking God, how, what are you trying to tell me? And sometimes God's trying to nudge me to make a different choice or warn me that something's wrong. But de- consolations and desolations are part of being human. You have feelings. It means you're alive. It means part of God's will is to take feelings into consideration and say, what are you trying to tell me? And now finally, uh, the fifth most listened to podcast of 2021 was called Finding God in the Fog of Massive Transition. And we're going to pick it up in a four-minute section talking about relaxing in Jesus. Okay, practice number one is relax in Jesus. And this comes out of John 6. When the, the crowds asked Jesus, they said, what must we do to do the works God requires And Jesus answered him, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So first of all, what you want to notice here, they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? And they're thinking many works, right? They're thinking works of giving, works of prayer, works of Bible study, works of serve the poor, etc. Jesus says, no, no, there's not a lot. There's not multiple works. There's actually just one work, uh, and that is to believe in the one he has sent, to trust me. And the word believe actually means to, to trust. Uh, and it's actually the present tense to be continually trusting in Jesus. Uh, and I like what uh, uh, Dale Bruner says, summarizes that word uh, trust or believe in the Gospel of John. The best modern translation for that is to relax in Jesus. I love that word, to relax. In fact, the word to to trust or believe in Jesus is used 98 times in the Gospel of John. In fact, the Gospel of John says the whole purpose of this Gospel is that you may be trusting moment by moment, believing in Jesus, that you might be relaxing in Jesus. I love that. And so we relax by allowing ourselves to be held by Jesus, regardless of the storms and circumstances in which we find ourselves. Just think about that for a moment with, with me. Relax in Jesus. If you think about it, 
it really is the goal of everything we do in life, uh, including worship and preaching and small groups and programming and classes and outreach and serving and giving. It's to get it's to get people to relax in Jesus. And Jesus says, if we get this right, we get everything right. Uh, and life is right. He'll take care of the rest. But of course, that's no small tax, task to relax. And of course, it is easier to talk about than to live, especially when we are surrounded by anxiety uh, or that uh, our ministries or our lives seem to be going backwards and not forward. And yet that's exactly or precisely what Jesus modeled for us in his own ministry. Uh, and and, and uh, I'll do, let me just mention what for me what that looks like. And you know, for Jesus, well, for Jesus, he he experienced a mass defection uh, in John six, where he loses thousands, tens of thousands of people. Uh, we don't know how many thousands, but everyone leaves uh, of the thousands except for the twelve, uh, because Jesus had begun teaching some things that were difficult about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and. Uh, and the people were just, what is this? They were horrified by it. And only the 12 end up remaining. Uh, and one of those is Judas, who's going to quit. And, and so in responding to the disbelief of the crowds and then even the disciples, Jesus makes these three statements. He goes, oh, all of those the Father gives me will come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Uh, and then he repeats it a third time. That's why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. In other words, Jesus himself modeled, he didn't just teach it, he modeled for us this relax in, in the midst of, again, transition, turmoil, noise, anxiety. He was grounded in a sense of the Father's sovereignty, the Father's plan. And he understands that it's the Father who draws people, is going to draw people to him. And he's got the Father's got a long-range plan in his mission. Uh, he'll send the right people at the right time. I, mean, I don't know how relaxed you would be in similar circumstances. Uh, chances are you'd be like Jesus's uh, family, his brothers in the next chapter who panic and they tell him to get to Jerusalem as soon as possible so people will start following you again. And Jesus just simply says, you know, the right time for me has not yet come, maybe for you, but not for me. And he's, again, he's, got, he's got a great sense that even if things are falling apart or look like they're falling apart, they're not. Relax. Now, it was said many years ago, actually over two decades ago, that 85% of Christians are stuck at a wall in their relationship with Jesus and not experiencing ongoing transformation. Now, part, and that 85% surely is much higher today, two decades later. Now, part of the reason for that stuckness on the part of so many uh, in discipleship is because we've not addressed the emotional aspects of who we are as image bearers of God, and the result of that are dis catastrophic. We have distorted humans uh, who are not being transformed in whole arenas of their person. So, because what I have to give to others will always be directly proportional to the depth of me knowing myself. And if I don't know myself, the only self I can actually offer other people uh, is a false self. How could it be, if you think about it, any other way? So let me close by inviting you to take 15 minutes for uh, the EH Discipleship Personal Assessment uh, that has been used over now, wow, quite a few years, over a decade, um, to determine am I an emotional infant, child, 
adolescent or adult in my discipleship. And uh, it will very well, well has changed. It may change your life in ministry. It has changed many other people and gotten them launched on the journey. It's just a, a very simple but powerful tool. And it's based actually on the seven marks of emotionally healthy discipleship that are found in the EH Discipleship book. So just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature, or you'll find it on the front page of our website. Uh, and of course, it's free, and I encourage you to do it yourself and share it with your friends. So thank you so much for a great year in 2021, and I look forward to seeing and seeing, but talking to many of you in 2022. Blessings to you. Bye.